guys, before we get started today, wanted to let you know about a new podcast. ESPN is in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Productions to present Soup with Coop. Cooper Manning invites players and coaches from across sports to share stories and laughs while enjoying a bowl of his guest's favorite soup. I don't know what my favorite soup is. Maybe split pea? When the soup is finished, the conversation ends. That's Soup with Coop. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks Inside Zone is where he's not allowed to use the bathroom. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And yet again, I have another first-time guest, longtime friend, first-time guest, permanent mensch, Adam Amin. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I, what, I, that was the intro that I was hoping for. I didn't know what type of exciting intro I was going to get. I'm just so happy I get to talk to you. It's been so long, my friend. <laughs> I know it has. And, um, you know, we've talked about doing this for a while and I wanted to wait to do the NFC North. I had to wait to the NFC North because I had to wait to the AFC North to the very, very end. But I'm so glad sure. because that we've waited actually because things have happened. Uh, these teams have changed since we started. I, I, I'm becoming a little bit of a parody myself. I feel like every time with these divisional previews, I, I start by saying the same thing, which is, wow, this division is a lot more interesting than I expected before I began this exercise. <laughs> that's the, gen that's the um, general thought anytime we dive into anything, because on the outside looking yes. in, this is a one horse race, right? We're like, all right, Minnesota's in transition. The Bears are, are who they are right now in, in a transition period. I don't know what the lines are going to look like. And the Packers have Aaron Rodgers. Mm. We assume that, right? And I think there's a lot more nuance to this division than maybe first thought. Yeah, I agree. I think also because the NFC being the NFC now, a lot of teams are wild card contenders or borderline or maybe even, you know, I don't know, aiming for it who you wouldn't otherwise certainly wouldn't in the AFC. I'm not saying I'm saying mm. about Detroit, but we'll get to Detroit. I think with all of these teams, you're right. I think from the outside, there's a very obvious order of things and identity to all these teams. But I think within those, within that order, there's a lot of ways this could go. The Packers should win the division, but it's like, are they good enough to get past that? The Vikings should be a wildcard contender, but what is like the upper echelon of outcomes for this team? The right. Lions should be better, but like, what if they aren't? And then the Bears, well, let's start with the Bears. It's your account. <laughs> it's... Okay, well, I, but for people who don't know, Adam uh, calls games for Fox Sports. He also does works the Bears preseason. You live in Chicago. You are are you from Chicago? I'm from the suburbs originally. Yeah. Okay, so lifelong Bears fan. Uh, grew up rooting for them. I I was born the year that they won the Super Bowl, but it was 11 months after. So in my lifetime, they've never won a Super Bowl. Wow. Who's your favorite Bear of all time? I mean, it's it's easy to throw out Walter Payton for obvious reasons, yeah. but I actually my favorite bear was Curtis Conway. I, I just really enjoyed him as a oh. receiver, and then and then Devin Hester won me over. But it, it's hard to pick him because he was a, a, a true special teams ace, and it's hard to be like, well, the special teams guy was my favorite. I just think that's a bad no, look on the team no. and the franchise more than anything else that than uh, that it is an indictment of like my taste or how good Devin Hester is. I just think it's an indictment of the franchise that's never had a 4,000-yard passer before. Well, on that note, um, I think what... So, you know, with all the bad teams, uh, as I go through division previews, I keep asking, what does success look like? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the Bears are kind of unique because the other bad teams, I think none of them have... 
quarterbacks who are supposed to be the future of the franchise. Unless I'm, I guess it depends on how you feel about that. the Jets. Maybe I, sure. I don't think people would put the Jets in the same category though as like the Bears and the, the Falcons. But I think what's tricky about the Bears is they're so obviously just you know in full rebuild mode, and what we can talk about that. But they're doing that at the same time that they're entering year two with their young quarterback. And I think that's why people are so in their feelings when it comes to this team, people who root for this team and anyone who's rooting for Justin Fields, because there's this simultaneous recognition that, hey, they were put in a horrible position, the new administration. And in many ways, they're probably doing the right thing. But is this going to be just absolute horrible for this young quarterback can he survive it so I think it's kind of like those two things happening at the same time I think there's a little bit of an expectation that's unfair already being put on Justin Fields because they're saying well you, you got to improve you got to develop you got to put this guy into a great position and you look at the positives I'm going into this week where the Bears are going to play the Chiefs in preseason on Saturday and my job as the preseason announcer the same way you have to do with the Rams really hard job to really build them up I know you know but like it's the job of, of of our broadcast is to at least highlight the positives and give people some some hope I'm not gonna say that this uh, on air that hey this if they if things go great they could win nine I'm not I, I don't think my audience is that mm. stupid I don't think Bears fans are dumb I, I think they're I think people in Chicago are fairly smart when it comes to their teams and they see what's happening but if I'm looking at positives I do think there are a lot of things that you can be positive about, and it starts with Fields. It starts with his development. It starts with the flashes we saw in the last handful of starts. I, I think it's unfair to place on Fields the idea that, well, it was a bad opening season. It was a bad individual year for him. It was a bad start. I mean, the Cleveland game obviously sticks out when he's yeah. running for his life and he can't complete a pass. But that Monday night game against Pittsburgh, there are some impress—I mean, impressive yes. flashes. The way he used uh, the the sidelines and his on his downfield throws, the way he read the middle of the defense, which everything starts in the middle in the NFL. Like you have to start middle out. It can't just be I've got Chris Olave on the sideline and I know he's better than the defender. I'm just gonna sling it up there for him. Everything starts middle out in the NFL. And as the season went on, I thought his reads up the middle, his ability to work out and go through progressions and know that I've got the ability to throw downfield and let guys like Mooney and Robinson when he was healthy and and let guys actually go up and try to catch passes. And, and to their credit in that Monday night game, they did. There are really, really good flashes from the tape when you watch last year. Is he going to be protect protected? I know that was your big concern. I think in your, your X Factor pod uh, with Steven, you were saying that the offensive line as a whole is I know you're kind of cheating, but like it's kind of up to the offensive line, right? And they did make improvements mm. there. Some veteran guys have been signed. Yes. They brought a little bit of since depth I recorded in. that, yeah. Since since since, since uh, I heard that pot about a month ago, they've had they've added things, and that's what you're alluding to. There is potential here. If it's starting with Justin Fields, there is significant potential. I don't know if it's going to equate to wins, and I think you have to accept that at some point he's going to lose you a game or two with a dangerous throw, a turnover, whether it's a fumble or a pick, something's going to happen and you're going to, oh, Fields lost that game. Yeah, it's going to happen. That happens to young quarterbacks all the time. If you're looking at growth and development as the positives and, and the results that you're seeking, if you're not looking at 
victories, then I think there is a lot to be excited about. There is something that there is a track, a trajectory for this team to have that level of success this season. So I think the optimist case for the offense, which we should talk about first and stick with, is and the optimistic case meaning Justin Fields' development, not you know playoffs or anything like that. Right, right, right. Um, so a few things have to happen. The offensive line has to be, I would say, better than last year. So uh, you alluded to some of those veterans coming in. By the way, what's so Lucas Patrick, who who was kind of the uh, was supposed to be, you know, he's the center coming from Green Bay. He's injured. They're saying he might be back at the beginning of the season, though, right? If I let. Last yeah, the, last week they last week they said, uh, "Well, there's no real timetable. There's a little bit of time." I think they feel confident that he'll be back for week one. Especially, I mean, we're looking at it right now. We've got still four full weeks plus before he has to worry about mm. filling in. And they do have obviously some uh, some versatility up front. If you need to, you can always throw Cody Whitehair into the middle, and that's one of the things that has changed in the last month. They do have depth now, like Tevin Jenkins. If you look at some of the projected depth charts, may not be the starter right out of the gate. They might look at Braxton Jones. He might not be on the team. (laughs) Exactly. Like, like you you might end up having a lot of differentiation in the second unit of the offensive line. But I look at the second unit of the offensive line and I go, all right, it's better than it was a season ago. Like, it's not Alex Bars and Lachavius Simmons. It's, you know, you've brought in some names that allow you to put starters that have been around the block before as your main guys up front. And then, They've added a lot of youth behind them, and Sam Mustafer is still there. But Larry Borum didn't didn't really get a chance last year because of the rotations up front. Jenkins didn't really get a chance because of the back injury. But you got Jones, Whitehair. You hope Lucas Patrick will be will be healthy. Michael Schofield, I think, has been a very reliable offensive lineman for a long time when he's been healthy. I thought he was very important to what the Chargers had, did, had done the last couple of years. And Riley Reef is a veteran tackle. You've filled gaps where you needed to through free agency, and you've added depth via the draft the last two seasons. And that's the optimist way of looking at the offensive line right now. Yeah. So I would say competent offensive line play. Um, and then even more so, we talk about this receiver group in a minute, mm-hmm. which is, you know, Byron Pringle, Darnell Mooney, Villas Jones, Quinamius St. Brown, Kill Harry, unfortunately, seems to have banged up his ankle pretty bad. Yeah. And then you've got Cole Komet at tight end and then a, a, a really solid running back duo and David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert. To me, though, like so much of the optimism case rests on the notion that Luke Getze, yes. new offense coordinator, also coming from Green Bay, mm-hmm. designs an offense that is optimized around Justin Fields, which is, of course, the major, major criticism of this team last year with Matt Nagy. Um and I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on what that might look like because so so Getsy, um was I guess you know he he comes you you would probably assume that there's going to be that Shanahan via Mike La- Matt Lafleur influence. He also mm-hmm. was the offensive coordinator at Mississippi Mississippi State under Joe Moorhead, which is more of a you know spread RPO type offense. So I think. Based on what we saw, based on what we saw out of Justin Fields at Ohio State, based on his strengths and weaknesses, which we know, incredible athleticism, beautiful, gorgeous deep ball, ability to make plays on the move, holds onto the football a little bit too long, definitely shouldn't have been doing quick game his first two games <laughs> in the NFL as much as he did. Okay, so we assume it's going to be, you know, that um, wide zone run game, play action passing, getting him on the move, booting him out ideally setting him up for some shot plays downfield, maybe some RPOs in the mix. Is that 
kind of square with what you've heard, what you think, what you feel would be best for him? Everybody I've talked to that has been around Bears training camp the last week plus has said that, has said this is what, these are the elements that make up Luke Getze. I, uh, my lone experiences with Luke Getze before he was with the Packers was at Mississippi State when he had Nick Fitzgerald, who was a dual threat quarterback and had to navigate post Dak Prescott. And they formulated a pretty good offense. Mississippi State was a pretty decent, if not really good football team for a period of about four or five years. And a lot of that had to do with how they utilized their quarterbacks and they had different types of quarterbacks. So I feel like Getze doing a lot more wide stuff, using the width of the field more. I, I know the, mm-hmm. the assumption is, well, you got to cut the field in half because you know young quarterbacks can't read. I don't think that's necessarily the case with fields. I think that will come, but allowing him to use the width of the field a little bit more, whether it's in the passing game, in the run game, or more importantly, in the RPO game, I think that is going to be a staple for what this team should do. It's easy to say that they can do it because of all the elements that seem to be in place for it. But on the outside, I feel like it's something they should do. This was a team that was like bottom third in RPO uh, pass attempts last year. They were Hmm. bottom third in RPO run attempts last year or bottom half in RPO run attempts last year. Like, I'm not saying you have to run an RPO as much as Jalen Hurts does in Philly, as much as Kyler Murray does in Arizona, as much as Lamar Jackson does in Baltimore, but I would like to see you do it more than Aaron Rodgers. Like Rodgers ran more RPO with that group in Green Bay than the Bears did last year. So that's one of the elements that I feel like you can bring over and still have like a base play action set up. You can still use the running game to your advantage, and I know that's not an element that that fans are excited about. They want to see Justin Fields unload, but this was a good running running team last year. Part of it was just sheer volume. They're just going to give Montgomery and Khalil Herbert the ball as often as possible, but they're good running backs. These, this is a decent tandem right now. I believe in them, and I think they can run the ball effectively. So it's not like you can't have a good play-action game off of that, but I think the width of the field is what's important this year for Justin Fields to get him into the open space to allow him to do the things that he was so good. I mean, Mina, you've we've watched the college football playoff tape. The deep balls are unreal. His movement in the uh, outside of the pocket is really, really good. And I called his best play last year. It was against the Niners. It was midway through the season where he started right, stumbled, curls back to the left, gets a great block off the left side from Jason Peters and runs for a touchdown in what was a one-possession game. That's the type of stuff he can do. I'm not saying you have to lean on it all the time, but it has to be an element. Otherwise, you're allowing Mm. this man's uh, athletic ability, his skill set to kind of go by the wayside. So I tried to find a statistic in which Justin Fields was not bottom 10. By the way, this is true of all the rookie quarterbacks except for Mac Jones pretty much. So, you know, I (laughs) talked about this. Um, if you look at any quarterback metrics last year, you see Wilson Lawrence, it feels just like 29 through 30, you know, yeah, pretty much everything. Sure. And I found one in which he was first. Are you ready? Yes. Justin Fields, first in the NFL in completion percentage over expectation on designed rollouts. Yes. True Media charted 15 designed rollouts. That's it. <laughs> but he was first. One thinks that, maybe and, you should have that a little bit more. <laughs> isn't that frustrating? Like you hear that, and I'm sure I'm sure a Bears fan is going to listen to this and go, "That my eyes saw that last year, and it feels like yeah. that's the result." He was really good when they did it, but I barely ever saw it, and that's the number that backs that up. And again, using mm-hmm. the width of the field, roll him out. Whether you're cutting the field in half yeah. or not, he's got the arm strength to throw across 
to the other side of the field. If he's outside the right hash on a design rollout, that doesn't mean the left sideline is not available for him or a, a skinny post or something from the left sideline that angles him towards the middle of the field with a throw. You have the receivers to do that. I think Darnell Mooney's speed is up there. I'm not saying Valus Jones is going to be an impact guy right out of the gate, but he is a speedster and he's got speed. And that's something that's incredibly important. You, you're telling me you can't run Byron Pringle out of the slot on the opposite side and let Fields roll out to his right, to his arm side and let him operate. I just don't see that, that not mm. being a factor at some point this year, especially when we've seen it have success in short bursts. I think I would like this wide receiver group if they had an X. Yeah. <laughs> if they had yeah. like a true number one, and then all of a sudden you've got Byron Pringle inside, you've got Darnell yeah. Mooney as that speedy flankster, and then flanker, flankster. God, wow, I am really going through it right now. <laughs> you're rolling, you're um, rolling. There's some friend. pretty incredible names. To be to be fair, I haven't even gotten to Equinemius St. Brown. Echo, yeah, Equinemius uh, e e e e uh, EQ, as, we, as I'm sure Jim Miller on our preseason EQ. broadcast will call him. <laughs> um, and, then, and then Jones... You know, like as the speed guy with, you know, fairly limited route tree in college, it kind of, yep. he, you, it was kind of like, okay, let's see what you got. But again, if, if everybody was sliding down one rank, I think I would be like, okay, cool. Yeah, let's get him on some sweeps and do some fun stuff with him and, you know, try to work him into the vertical game. But the problem is there's just, there isn't that one. So everybody slides up into a role that's maybe not quite right. Um and one thinks next year when they have, you know, five hundred billion dollars in cap space and whatever, they can get that one. I just wish I just wish it was composed a little bit differently right now. I, I think that's fair, because especially in this division, because this is a division with really good corners or, or at the very least on paper, yeah. uh, a division with really, really good cornerbacks. And if you don't have guys that can win one on one, the, it, all of this. And I think you and Steven kind of touched on this. It's all a trickle down, right? Like this begets this begets this the offensive line. Beget, good offensive line play begets good quarterback play because he's comfortable. Good quarterback play begets good wide receiver play, but wide receivers need to win their matchups to allow good quarterback play. And when you don't have guys that can win one-on-one -on -one right away and they need time to work off press coverage or be able to make a move in space against a guy who's playing cushion, now you need the offensive line to hold up. All of these things have to be in concert with one another and with other teams that you feel confident in offensively whether it's Buffalo, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's Kansas City, uh, you know, Green Bay obviously has, has been this type of team for a long time. If one of those things break, breaks down, you go, all right, well, this individual has the ability to win this, which means we can still get positive yardage out of it. And the margin for error for this particular group right now is not as high. It's a very low margin for error comparative to the rest of the, the good offenses in the league and even in this division right now. Before we move to the defense, I do want to ask you, just because you do have that inside knowledge from being in the building, um, is there anything different that people are seeing in fields this offseason? Any, anything that is encouraging, you know, beyond the usual kind of coach speak of it all? Um, is there anything that you think might bear fruit in the regular season? Uh, I think it is the comfort level. Guys seem to respond to him well. Uh, there's There's been nothing but good things being said. The, I will say if we're using the generic term of vibes, right? Like the vibes do <laughs> seem good, <laughs> admittedly. Like Getze and Eberflus and uh, Fields and the offensive line and Cole Komet and some of the newer, newer, younger guys, they all seem to get along well. And that is important for a quarterback that's trying to win everybody over, especially when, when he only played pretty much half time 
last year and there were a lot of questions surrounding him. At the very least, the keys are given to him, to, to Justin Fields. I think he's a person that, stri- that, that thrives off being given a vote of confidence the way he was by Ryan Day. I think get, being given the, the keys, so to speak, to the car means a lot to him. And I think people respond to him. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. And I do think there's a lot of positivity around the team. Now, is that the case around 30, 30 out of 32, 29 out of 32 teams right about now on the first week of August? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably everybody feels good in some capacity. But if that's what you're looking for, you're looking for a leader. I do think that giving him the true keys to the car where there is no question that he's the starting quarterback. It's not going to be Trevor Simeon. It's not going to be Peter Mann. You know, I just, I just wanted to say Peter Mann because it's fun. But it's not going to be those guys. It's Justin Fields' team. It's Justin Fields' offense. He's got an offensive coordinator that is trusting him. That, to me, is important for a kid who is taking over in year two in the NFL. And to actually have an entire off season where they're building an offense tailored to his mm-hmm. skill sets, um, yeah. one would think would probably go a long way there, too, as well. All right, so a lot of change also in the defense, which is where they really invested in the draft this year. Um just to recap for people who don't know, obviously Khalil Mack is out the door. Um, you're going to be counting on some combination opposite Robert Quinn, who we can talk about as well, of Travis Gibson, who was quietly pretty good for them. I think like seven sacks somewhere. It was more than yeah. I thought. Um, and then Al Quaidin Muhammad, I hope I'm saying his name right, from Indianapolis, who of course has familiarity mm-hmm. with Matt Eberflus. I think also, also um, about seven sacks or so. And then you draft Kyler Gordon, UW, Jaquan Brisker to play safety. Um, obviously, there's going to be a bit of a schematic change going to that 4-3. I imagine a lot of cover two, pretty similar to what we saw in Indianapolis. Yes. What do you think is the most, the best part of this defense right now? If I just take a look, like a quick look at the depth chart, and I'm just trying to formulate it all, I, I've always felt that the linebacking core, and, and that's a, a staple in the city of Chicago in general, just the linebacking position, especially middle linebacker has always been one of of high regard. I think that has shifted now because you're not in a 3-4. It's not edge Quinn, edge Mac, middle Roquan Smith. This is a, a true 4-3 defense. So I'm looking at the secondary a little bit more than I would have maybe a year ago. Last year, I'm thinking it's Mac and Quinn. It's their show. If they produce, this will be a team that has significant success uh, in that aspect on defense. I think this year for a defense that really, really struggled in the running game, Roquan Smith has to be really, really good. And you mentioned those two safeties that or the, those two defensive backs, I should say that they drafted in, in Brisker and Gordon in the second round. These are guys that are going to be leaned on for tackling. One of the biggest criticisms last year of Eddie Jackson, who is a, a really high-level safety, was his lack of tackling. He, mm. he missed too many tackles. This is a defense that missed too many tackles in the secondary last year, and that's been a problem for them over a period of probably five years. So to get somebody like Brisker, who had great, I mean great grades in college uh, in terms of his coverage, in terms of what he can do as uh, in specific box sets uh, from the safety position, for Gordon, who was really, really good in coverage, didn't allow a touchdown individually for, I think, his last two years. Again, you, you take that with somewhat of a grain of salt based on the competition that he's playing. But I think those two guys right out of the gate have a significant level of pressure on them because they need to be able to play at a at an NFL level. Whatever a standard NFL level is, they cannot be below that. 
So I think the set, the strength of this mm. team could be at secondary with, with those two guys, with Jackson and with Jalen Johnson, who took a big leap last year. And there were questions about him early in the season, uh, about his work ethic, things of that nature. He really improved on tape. I think he was better in year two than he was in year one. So I still think the strength of this defense, which I wasn't expecting to say uh, based on track record, but I think the strength of this defense is going to have to be and probably is its secondary despite its youth. Yeah, I think that one of my concerns about the secondary is kind of nowhere to hide, which is another way of sort of what you were saying. I mean, we talked about the Titans last week and they have a very young corner group, but they've got those incredible safeties, right? Um, And I think that really helps them out in coverage. Eddie Jackson, obviously coming off of a down year, um, one thinks maybe in a new scheme next to Brisker, who to your point is extremely versatile and extremely sound in both coverage, really good tackler. I could see him playing um, closer to the box as well than Jackson yep. at times, you know, spinning down. He's, he plays downhill really well. Uh, but you know that again, there's just nowhere to hide. Like they need these guys to play um, and contribute really early. And I like Kyler Gordon. I'm a, you know, I'm a Huskies fan. Uh, super physical, super hard hitting, uh, good ball skills, but he's going to get beat. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to get attacked. He's going to get beat. Um, Thomas Graham, again, another player I I really liked. I think it was, was it the Steelers game where he was, he got his first start and I was like, oh my God, I forgot they drafted him. I can't remember. It was, um, they were down to like all of their backup corners in one game and he was in and I can't remember. It might have been Minnesota, if I'm thinking correctly. I think anyways, it was Minnesota. Minnesota like, was his first start last year, uh, but he had yeah. yeah he he was in the Pittsburgh game. It was Minnesota because he started the last, I think, was, or played the last four games and finally got you know a decent amount of snaps. But he played every snap in the Minnesota game late in the season, and he was, he was good. Good he in played that game. Really well. I, I remember like, it was he, on. I think it was primetime, right? It was a primetime game, if I remember correctly. Might have been a Monday um, night. I think it was a Monday it was, night game, and and I think he, he I think he played every snap, and he had like three pass breakups in that game and he got latched on. I don't know if, if Thielen had played that game or not. I can't remember off the top of my head, but like he was mm-hmm. matched up with good. I mean, Minnesota's got a decent receiving core. He was matched up with good guys yeah. and he had three pass breakups in that game. And and that's what they were hoping for when they had him as a slot corner. They're like, let's, let's have somebody that knows coverage that we have some confidence in. He, he obviously comes from a good program. He had a really good track record at Oregon and there was this expectation, but like a lot of young guys, you, he struggled in preseason. He struggled in practice. He struggled going up against ones rather than going up against twos. And when he finally got an opportunity, he played really well against some ones mm. late in the season. And I think that's important from the slot spot, slot spot at corner. So I think, I think last year, it's funny, this team finished 12th in past DVOA, which I think people might not guess. I think a lot mm. of times um, the past defense just was really, really helped by pressure. Yes. They were second in QBR allowed with pressure, 20th without uh, we talked about Robert Quinn and his 18 sacks. Um, you know, they finished pretty high in a lot of pressure metrics. And I think, again, with the nowhere to hide thing, like that's going to decline, frankly, this year. Um, or maybe not, actually, because you know what? Khalil Mack was hurt last year. So I don't really, that's not really fair to say, like, Khalil, Khalil, Khalil Mack's gone. And, um, you know, I, I do think that he can get some contributions from the players we mentioned. I do like Justin Jones, who they brought in from the Chargers. But, yeah. like, realistically, this is probably not going to be one of the best pressure generating fronts in the league. Uh, so there's just going to be a greater onus on this secondary. Uh, we've got this far without talking about the player who I think is probably the best player on the bears. And that's Roquan Smith. Yep. Um, he's going to get signed, right? There's not, he's not going anywhere. I don't think he's going to go anywhere. I, th- I know he had the, the, the holdout session and, and he's been very adamant about it, but he's going to end up playing. 
and he he's had an he had an up and down stretch because if I look at him raw, if I look at him on tape, I go, he runs, he flies to the football, and he tackles really well. Like and that's A one on your necessity list for a guy at linebacker in this defense. But he had some issues in the run game. He had some issues in run stopping. He's not leaned on necessarily for consistent coverage. He needs to be able to tackle cleanly. And in this defense, playing next to Nicholas Morrow, who I'm, I'm intrigued to watch, who came over from uh, Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken, he, I, I feel like yeah. there is, there is key, there, this is a key tandem because everything began and ended with Smith last year because a lot of plays got past the first line of defense and he was often left to his own devices to try to make a play. And if he can continue to do that, even in this slight shift, I think he'll be fine. I really do. And I feel like he's been as consistent despite having these up and ups and downs. These ups and downs have been relative to everybody on this defense, right? This was a middle-of-the-pack defense last year. They excelled in the two things that you talked about, not giving up big, big passing yard games and getting pressure on the quarterback and getting pressure in the backfield. And obviously, those two things are in concert with one another. But overall... With the injuries, with the shifting personnel, they were still like middle of the pack in pass pass rush win rate. They were towards the bottom in run stop win rate. Like they they struggled in those categories, mm -hmm. and Smith had a lot to do with that. So when I watch him, I know how good he is. When you look at some of the numbers, they tell you that he can play better. And I think if he continues to play better, if he grows in this slightly shifted positioning now, with Morrow playing more of the middle and Smith being able to play a little bit more weak side. That might actually help this team. It might actually help Roquan Smith. And maybe we haven't really seen a ton of it. I think he's had 14 sacks in his career so far. Maybe he can pump that number up a little bit. You know, he had three sacks last year. I think he had five as a rookie. Maybe he can get six or seven and, and give Robert Quinn a little bit of a a little bit of support because you know Quinn's going to get a lot of double teams if he is playing in the lineup. Well, speaking of Quinn, let's wrap with one final question. Um, so Robert Quinn coming off of this insane year, he's 32 years old. I used to joke for a while that he's always younger than you think, but now I think he's finally caught up to his age in my mind. Um, <laughs> but like, he does it's like, have it's like, it's like that one meme, right, Mina, where it's like, oh man, I'm you know I'm 35, I'm 36, I can't even get out of bed, and here's here's the 32 year old taking the field, the oldest player in the league. What a miracle! Oh That's God. what that reminds me of right now. <laughs> I think it's because of St. Louis, like those St. Louis years are kind of, I don't know. Um, such a blur. And he, there's such a blur. He, he has two more years left after this. Um, do you think, again, given what we talked about with the Bears and sort of their timeline, do you think it's possible that they consider trading him at some point to a contender? I think so. I, I, I think nothing is off the table with this front office. And I know they don't mm -hmm. want to hamstring a new coaching staff, but... I feel like if they're going to do it, right, and based on track record of just watching how first-year coaches and first-year trans, uh, first years of transition often take place, that's when a front office is like, well, if we're going to do it, might as well do it now. Is and and I do think results will have a lot to do with that. Uh, and again, not necessarily wins and losses. Results. How are you playing? What do you look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Those things will have a lot to do with the ensuing moves or lack thereof. But I don't take that off the table of Robert Quinn maybe being dealt if the haul you get back for him is is considerable because he's going to have to perform well to get something back. And if he's performing well, but you're not winning games or the rest of the defense isn't playing that great, maybe you try to go get a second rounder for him and a third rounder 
and a sixth rounder, maybe another you know player that you can add in on a practice squad and allow somebody else to slot up and try to get a considerable haul back for him. Because a team that's contending come week 12 or, or week eight or week, week nine or 10, you get to that middle of the portion of the season, they're going to want some, they're going to want somebody like a Robert Quinn if Quinn's not happy doing what he's doing in Chicago. Yeah. yeah I don't think they could get like the, certainly not the Von Miller haul, but you know, if he is anywhere close to his production last year, I got to think there'll be some suitors. And yeah, again, we know what this Chicago team is doing. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, from a team that is obviously rebuilding to a team that totally shunned the idea of rebuilding <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings. I think Vikings fans were pretty split on whether or not they wanted to blow it up and move past Kirk Cousins. Um, but that's past. They did not blow it up. They are, they, they went in on this roster. There has been changes made, well, pretty significant changes, obviously coaching changes, Personnel changes, notably on defense. I think the biggest question is like, will any of these tweaks, and you can call them tweaks or you can call them wholesale changes, be enough to actually put this team in playoff contention? So let's start with the offense um, because it's really the same. (laughs) It's pretty much the same offense. The big difference is Mike Zimmer is no longer the head coach. And I want to say, I think that's a pretty significant difference because I think that this offense... I had gotten, I, I, it was clearly time for a change. I think, I don't know if relations between him and Kirk Cousins were strained or whatever, but the emphasis on the run game, sometimes bad situational football. And in, in, in my opinion, um, it felt like they needed a breath of fresh air. In comes Kevin O'Connell from the Rams. We pretty much know what he wants to do in offense, although there'll be like a little bit of a twist because the personnel is different in Minnesota. Yeah. Do you, like, how do you feel about, the notion that bringing in a new coach might be enough to, you know, push this offense from and Kirk Cousins from that like good range to the great range. I th- I think first off, the confidence in the personnel they already have was enough because they spent five of their first yeah. six picks in the draft on defense. So you know you're bringing in an offensive minded head coach who has a pretty good track record, despite not being the play caller necessarily in in LA. Obviously, Sean's doing a lot of that. But to have that connectivity going back to uh, Kirk Cousins, even in the Washington days and McVay's days in Washington. So you kind of have these little branches of connectivity. And I would imagine Kevin O'Connell looks at this offense and says, all right, we can do something with this. This was a middle-of-the-pack offense last year, but their offensive line was really good despite some bad grades. Like they kept Kirk Cousins pretty well protected. Part of that is the scheme. They do a lot of stuff in the flats with uh, Cook and with Alexander Madison. Like they use those guys uh, pretty uh, favorably and I think pretty liberally in in the flats. So part of that is scheme. But the pieces I think are pretty good. Obviously, it starts with Jefferson and Thielen, who you know you're, you can make a case for them being a top five wide receiver duo when they're healthy in this league. I liked KJ Osborne's contributions last year. I thought the fact that they didn't have Irv Smith and they were able to turn Tyler Conklin into like a legit pass catching tight end, uh, all of those pieces were really good. I, I just think they had so many issues in the second half of games for whatever reason, whether it was not making adjustments or whether it was just Kirk Cousins. And I think a lot of this does fall on Cousins. Some of this falls on the health or lack thereof at times of Thielen and and Dalvin Cook missing some games late in the season, but. They lost so many one-score games. They were eight and nine. And how many of those are 
games that came down to a missed or made field goal by one team or another. How many of those games came down to one bad drive late in the game? And sometimes, you know, I think the Dallas game on a Sunday night, it was a bad defensive possession for them. And they let a backup quarterback beat them. That, that happens sometimes, but they were in every game. So I believe that Kevin O'Connell looks at the personnel that he has and hopes that the offensive line continues to at least play to some level of form they did last year, even though the grades weren't great and they need to be better and they need to be more consistent, but they had a lot of shuffling there last year and they, you know, they're tossing in Christian Derrissaw late in the year and having him uh, come back from injury and step into some big roles late in the year. Garrett Bradbury missed some time. Mason Cole, who's a good, more than good, capable backup at multiple positions got hurt. Uh, I thought Oli Samika Udo played really well at, at guard last season. I think they have some pieces, and I think Kevin O'Connell should feel confident that with a little bit of a schematic change and maybe Kirk Cousins getting a breath of fresh air with an offensive coach that has, like I said, some connectivity to him through O'Connell's connections to McVay and Washington, maybe that opens something up. And there have been plenty of people going to Vikings camp saying, I think they're going to surprise some people, which is a popular term to say at any point in the month of August. But I think there's enough there to feel confident that this can be a team that takes some of those one-score losses, some of those last-second losses, and turns those into wins, and maybe you get to 10 or 11 this year. I think that's totally reasonable. There's more change on the defense, which we'll talk about, obviously, Definitely. in a second. I think offensively, um, the it's like, man, am I putting – Kevin O'Connell wasn't even the play caller, right? Yeah. Sean McVay, like, how do we know – what he can do, I think. For me, it's more of a referendum on Zimmer by the end there, frankly. But um, or, and, who obviously it's not a play caller, but his influence on this offense and with Cousins, one thinks without him they're going to they're going to pass more. Um, I, I talked about the look being a little bit different from the Rams because of the personnel, but the reality is like this is not the Vikings of a couple like you really don't want to live in 12 personnel as much. You probably want those three wide receivers. You mentioned KJ Osborne, who I think is really good uh, as a wide receiver three. Um, you're with Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, still one of the best one-two punches in the NFL. I think this could be the season that Justin Jefferson becomes amongst the names we talk about when we talk about for best wide receiver period um, mm -hmm. in the NFL. So like, you know, I think, it's a different group of players from Los Angeles and in a different offensive line. Particularly, I think the interior dude, I, I just it is weak relatively. Though I think I could see both Darisaw taking a step forward and the tackle duo being better. But um, and they do use a fullback, obviously, uh, which is different from Los Angeles. But you know, I think you're going to see more motion. You're probably going to see them use more tempo. The pace will be faster. I think with Cousins, though, the question is to go back to kind of good to great and what it takes his issues as a quarterback, the things that have always seemed to hold him back from being in the top 10 in most people's lists versus 10 to 13, which is, I feel like usually where he lands, maybe 10 to 15 mm -hmm. is the stuff that is maybe not coachable. <laughs> I, I don't want to <laughs> diminish him, but it's the playmaking. It's the, yes, uh, some of the situational stuff. It's the, you know, it, 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 he plays so, so, so well in structure, but he's kind of is who he is outside of structure at this point. Now, I think, again, if there's enough improvement on offense to where maybe he's not in those situations very much and they're able to kind of keep the trains running on time, it might not be an issue if O'Connell makes enough 
tweaks throughout, I think, to sort of dial up this passing attack. But, um, you know, I do think it's a reasonable concern with him. Like, has he really hit his ceiling? You know, is there something above what we've seen? I think I, I think about a game that I, I called two Vikings games last year, one middle of the year, one late. And the one in the middle of the season was was against Baltimore. And I know Baltimore had a million issues with their defense last year, especially in their secondary. But you're going to have games this year if you're Minnesota. And I don't think their schedule based on like uh, projected wins of opponents is that hard. It's like a middle of the pack schedule. Uh, obviously, you're playing in the NFC North, so you're going to play the Bears twice. You're going to play the Lions twice, but you're going to play the Jets. You know, you're going to play the Giants. You're going to have some games against teams that maybe are struggling at the cornerback position, and those are the games you have. I know they're going to circle on their calendar and go, JJ, this is you, buddy. Like this is your week, and that's a great outlet to have for Kirk Cousins to be able to take advantage of that. Late in the year, when I saw them against a much better defense in the Rams, there was a sequence that really disappointed me. Cousins had a third and short, ended up scrambling to his left on a play that was kind of broken up or broken, and he had the first down line to gain. And if he just decisively says, I'm going to run this for the first down, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You and I I may have been texting during this game. This was like uh, Like, during Christmas time. Uh, So I feel like you know exactly the play I'm talking about. And it's one of those plays where you're like, if he's just decisive, if he says, I am going to get this first down. They have a first down on third and short, and they get to keep the chains moving. Instead, he's indecisive. There ends up being a penalty because the play took too long to develop. It ends up being a holding penalty. It puts him back to third and long. Now they're inside their own 15. Now he can't complete a pass to the sticks, and now you have to punt, and you give up great field position. And this is the these are the sequences that separate players like a Cousins from, let's say, a Rodgers or a Mahomes. or the. We're talking about the elites, and you're talking about wanting to be great. You know, you're a competent, good 500 quarterback. He's nothing if not spectacular or, you know, right. He's, he's just an unspectacular, consistent quarterback who's going to win you some games by just being steady. And he's going to lose you games by not being decisive enough. It's not really the big interception late in the game that often kills cousins. It's plays and sequences like that, that stuck out to me last year, that if he can, obviously, as you said, maybe they won't be in positions that as often because the offense is moving a little bit better on first and second down, and you don't end up in some of these third and mediums that they were so bad in last year. Maybe the offense, maybe the scheme, maybe the the consistency of the run game with Cook and Madison uh, and, and the short passing game with them is enough to not put him in those spots. But he's going to be in those spots, and if he can be more decisive, it can, if he can be more uh, aggressive at times and not just be even keeled at all times, hoping that somebody's going to make a play, like go make a play. And maybe some of these situations will be, will, will be seen less and less. And that's, that's how those, those games become wins rather than two point losses, three point losses. Yeah. It's an interesting, I'm trying to think of an example of a quarterback that went from like a, he's more than a game manager, you know, but he's not a playmaker and he's, he's not that top five. Like, what can coaching and your surroundings do for you? I mean, surroundings are the is, same. is Alex Smith and Andy Reid a combination that that that, that works that's in that a, sense? Like, one. is that okay? Yeah, yeah. That 2017 season, Alex Smith was really pushing the ball downfield, and but he was, I mean, you know, he had everything around him. Um, but so does Cousins. I mean, the line's not great. I don't think it, I don't think it's terrible, um, but. 
this is kind of yeah well anyways don't don't let us down with second and long runs kevin o'connell <laughs> <laughs> don't put kirk in in bad situations exactly. um all right so defensively i think this is really interesting so yes this is where they made their big moves in the draft drafting lewis scene safety out of georgia who i love trading up for andrew booth jr um bringing in zadarius smith so this should be a better defense than it was last year, just because of everything I just said, honestly. Um, and then there's some little tweaks throughout, I think, personnel-wise. But uh, the secondary should be better. Uh, I love the combination of Lewisine playing next to Harrison Smith. Yep. Um, pass rush should be better, obviously, with those players. They should be better in run defense, so we can talk about that in a second. My only concern is just like it's a lot of shoulds. Yeah. Uh, depth is an issue. Um, I think cornerback, uh, you know, I like Andrew Booth Jr. a lot. I'm not sure what his health status is. I probably should have looked that up before we started. But as much as I like those safeties, I think it's still uh, not a terrific corner group. Cam Dantzler, you know, has another year under his belt. Um, see what Patrick Peterson's got left. I, I'm just curious to see how it all comes together under. So we, you know, I talked about Mike Zimmer leaving being a positive for the offense. There's an assumption that I think, you know, Ed Donatello comes in with the Fangio style defense, um, that the defense will be better, but like, you know, I put some respect on Mike Zimmer's name. He's one of the greatest defensive coaches in the history, recent history of the NFL. Agreed. And, and I think that's what was so jarring about some of the numbers late last year was this wasn't an offense that turned the ball over very often. You know, they were very low in, in turnover rate on offense. So it's not like you're you're being constantly put in bad situations as a defense. And yet they were 30th in yards allowed. They were 28th in pass yards. They were 26th in rushing defense. Where were they good? They were good in pass, pass rush. And there are some ifs when it comes to that as well. Like I, I think Michael Pierce, when he was healthy, was a really important piece up the middle that allowed guys on the outside, like a DJ Wanham, who, who had one of his best se- had his best season uh, of the two, I guess, of the two that he's played. But like you know, second year guy made a big leap last year because a player like Michael Pierce, when he was healthy, was in the middle and plugging things up and allowing for edge guys to to get a little bit more production out of him. Is Daniil Hunter, you know, is he going to be close to where he was pre-injury? Because if he is. That's really good. Like he was already on pace last year for like a really good season before he got hurt. And if he plays in that kind of opposite edge, you know, you you could see Smith, you know, Zadarius Smith kind of slotting in as the opposite edge guy to Daniil Hunter. And now all of a sudden you're looking at some real pressure to be able to try to recreate what this defense was best at last year, which was getting pressure on the quarterback. And they did it, you know, they they, they blitzed fairly heavily. I think they were top third of the league, if I'm not mistaken, in, in blitz rate. So it's not like Mike Zimmer wasn't afraid to send guys in, but if you can do this in this current setup of their defense that is basically a true 3-4, and you've got two edge guys in Hunter and Smith who, listen, I have questions about Zadarius Smith too, uh, but he's been as good as it comes when he's healthy. Like, what did he play? Like 18, yeah. 18 snaps last year because of the back issue? In Green Bay, the previous two years, he was really good at uh, getting to the quarterback. So I think you can maybe not replicate, but try to recreate some of what made this defense effective under Mike Zimmer. Ed Donatel's defenses have always been solid at getting to the quarterback. And more importantly, 
can you create turnovers? Can you create takeaways? Can you get interceptions? Because this is a a spot where they could have been better. I, I think they could have been a little bit better at trying to create guys. Cam Dantzler yeah. was up and down, but when he was good, he was really good. Patrick Peterson, when he's healthy, can still play a reasonable cornerback. He's not an A1, but he can play against good number twos. Xavier Woods was really important in both the pass game and the run game. That's a lot of pressure to put on scene, but if he lives up to any of a first-round status, playing next to Smith will make him good. I have confidence in the personnel of this defense. I need to see how it fits in the scheme, and can you recreate or replicate some of the best things that made this team an 8-9 and team? This could have been a, a six-win team last year, but their defense kept them in a lot of the time. So uh, can you recreate some of those things? If you can, then it's a a chance at another 500 year. And then if you win some of these close games, you have a chance to be right in it for the wild card with maybe 10 or 11 wins. Booth Jr. is the one I could see sort of boosting that takeaway total. Um, really liked his ball skills, his length in college. Um, I think there's going to be some ups and downs as well. Uh, at times he's just, mm, it's okay. in <sighs> coverage, but, but, I think after, I don't know, I could see getting to play with those two safeties. I know I'm, it's quite an assumption I'm making about scene should help him as well. Um, Chan and Sullivan's are slot. He's okay. I, my, my, I would say my bigger concern might be, so this is a team that was absolutely trash against the run last year. So the Vic fan, the Ed Donatel's defense, one assumes you talked about it being a three, four is going to be, you know, a lot of those light boxes playing, gap and a half. We talk about that a lot with um, the two safeties sitting far back, basically inviting offenses to run on them. Um, I do think Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Tomlinson are capable of doing that, but you know, a defense that really, really struggled to stop the run last year, transitioning to that scheme, even with new personnel, we'll see. Granted, you take that over giving up big pass plays. So, yep. um, you know, I think to me, if these two safeties can play at the level we think they're capable of and um, give them that sort of versatility that's been missing for a little bit now, I think that will go a long way in terms of playing back to front. And I'm excited to see it. I mean, I, I think this yeah. should be a better defense. It's just it's just kind of like a lot of this stuff has to, it's all on paper right now. You know, the big thing with this, with the scheme too defensively with that Donatel is, you know, you and you know this because you you crunch so much tape. You know, Mike Zimmer loves the double A gap blitz, right? He loves sending yep. two guys for the A gap, whether it's Kendricks or Barr or Nick Vigil last year, or uh, moving guys like Hunter around a little bit. Like he loves the double A gap. Will that be the same scheme that we see this year with Ed Donatel's defense? Because Ed Donatel's defenses in Chicago, at least, were incumbent on getting turnovers, and that comes from a combination of pressure and good coverage. So which element of this defense is going to be the one to try to generate those things? I'll be curious just in terms of scheme, what they look like this year and what they're, what Donatel's like go to on a third down and seven, what his go-to blitz is going to be. Yeah. Like, I, I want to know what the go-to blitz package is going to look like. I forgot Jordan Hicks is on the inside next to Kendricks now. Hmm. All right. Let's wrap it up really quick. Vikings playoff team. Yes, I think I think in the NFC they're in it. They're in the the, the race for the wild card. I do. I, I think I I feel like all the elements are there, and it's a matter of execution. And I get we're always talking about a lot of ifs when it's Kirk Cousins, 
But I have confidence in Kevin O'Connell. I I want to believe. I want to believe that this team is going to be in the playoffs because they have the personnel together. I want to see Jefferson in a playoff game. I want to see Dalvin Cook play oh in the God. playoffs. I want to see Daniil Hunter. I want to see Harrison Smith. I want to see Eric Kendricks play in a big game to try to advance in a playoff. I think they're good enough personnel-wise to get there, and I think the NFC in general has enough question marks to where they should be in the mix no matter what. <sighs> Justin Jefferson is so good. He's so He's good. He's so complete. He's going to make all of the money, which is part of the reason why you probably want to try to make it to the playoffs this year. Yes. All right. After the break, let's talk about the prohibitive favorite to win and uh, increase our pace a little. As you guys know, NFL teams can make mistakes when it comes to spending money. For example, cover years, Broncos fans. Russell Wilson has a $53 million cap hit this year. <laughs> but uh, unlike the uh, Walton family, I'm guessing people listening to this podcast don't have millions to spend. Maybe some of you do. I don't know. Get at me. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and they decided to do something better. They found their own way to make a beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. They have customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2, which is half of what you pay for big brands. Convenient subscription options that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best does not mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash M-I-N-A. That's harrys.com slash Mina for a $3 trial set. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Trying to think if there was any here's who's on this teams as it pertains to the Packers. There tends not to be because they don't add many players. Yep. Maybe Jaron Reed. I mean, I knew he was on the team, but that was one where I, when I was looking at the defense <laughs> and thinking about uh, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, Jaron Reed's on this team. So he'll, he he gets that award for this group. Um, a group that I, in my defensive rankings, had two, which and, and I, I, on my second pass at it, I now have decided it was probably too high. Not because I don't think this defense has top two potential. I believe it does. But because I think um, there, it's a little thin. So it's really, really, really talented at every level. But like when you start looking behind the starters, you get nervous, yes. uh, especially in the secondary. So let's start back. Let's start from the secondary and move all the way to the quarterback that way. This should be one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Agree? If they're healthy, if these five are going to play, you know, 80% of the snaps consistently together, this will be a very, very good secondary. The other thing, other than depth, I think that might give me some pause now is not just that but the fact that two of the players who should be meaningful starters are quote-unquote one-year wonders one is Devondre Campbell we'll talk about in a second the other is Russell Douglas um both guys just having monster career years one-year wonders a little strong but it's true um <laughs> Douglas so good that you know he's probably gonna play outside and they're gonna have Jair Alexander playing primarily in the slot which um, you know, it, in today's NFL is not, is 
his role will be as meaningful and I imagine he'll play inside and outside. But yes. man, if you had told me a year ago that that was going to what was going to happen with this team, we'd be talking about them like that in a year. I would not have guessed it. No, and I, and I didn't realize again, Adrian Amos was in Chicago for a long time and he was more than capable. He's really, really good. But to be number one in basically what the NFL equivalent is to wins above replacement at the safety spot last year, I was not expecting that high of a grade for Adrian Amos to play that exceptionally. Jair Alexander obviously had the shoulder issue and didn't get a lot of ch- a lot of time last year, but I thought Eric Stokes played well, and I think that's a yeah. really key piece. Like this is those are three legit n- names right now, especially in the NFC when it comes to defensive backs. I think. Alexander's ability to play multiple positions, his ability to steer receivers to where he wants them to go is something I noticed a couple of years ago when he was healthy. It's like he just seems to dictate pace really, really well, even against number one level receivers. I think he dictates very well. To have that combination of Stokes and Alexander to be able to be versatile and flip based on size, based on matchups, based on uh, positioning of the field. Alexander loves being a boundary guy. He's always talked about, I I will play the boundary. I'll play one-on-one. I'll play on an island. I have no issue with that. I can play. He can play field corner really, really well too because he dictates and steers receivers and slot guys to the positions that he wants them to go to. That's a special talent in a, in a defensive back and a cornerback at, at this level. That is special to be able to do that. They were a top 10 takeaway team last year, even without Alexander getting all the time because of the injury, the shoulder issue. They weren't a huge blitz team. They were top third in the league in defense passing, defense running, even though they weren't winning up front and they weren't stopping the run at a high enough level. They still got these takeaways, which tells you how talented the secondary is. Don't and they've built it, right? These are all draft picks, except for Douglas and Amos. Like these are three major draft picks. Alexander a few years ago, Stokes in 21, and Savage in 19. Like these are all guys that they've homegrown, and it's taken time for them to turn into a storyline. Like every year, what have we talked about with the Packers? All right, it's Rodgers and Adams, and let's hope that they they fill in the rest of the spots and their defense doesn't kill them. That's not the narrative anymore. The narrative is who is Aaron Rodgers going to throw to again? Is the offensive line going to hold up? But the defense might be a star for the first time in a while for Green Bay. And that to me is one of the most intriguing storylines in the NFL this year. Yeah, I have them ranked higher than the offense. You know, when I did those top tens, um, it, by the way, Russell Douglas was on the Cardinals practice squad, so he counts as homegrown now. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's fair. And, and again, I he mean, was an alternate alternate for the Pro Bowl after coming off a practice squad. Like that, that's that's impressive. Just, and and I agree with you. The depth behind them may not be very good, but the top five are really really good. Oh, the depth behind them sucks. I'm just looking at it right. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not gonna pretend like I know how you know that a lot of these players can play at a high level, but there's it is it is thin. Um, and they did it all with Alexander, who, like, I, I think people forget how good he is. He's yeah. so complete. Um, you know, you talked about how good he is at redirecting receivers. Um, I would say, you know, he's not enormous, but for his size, pound for pound, he is an exceptional tackler. Um, he can play man his own. He's scheming inside, outside. He can kind of do everything and keep up with any pass catcher on the field. And he's such a weapon for them. So I think... It's not exactly one for one like Jalen Ramsey and how he's used as the star in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, but having him near the football, being able to use him to dictate matchups is really going to be significant for them. I think 
again, like linebacker, this is this was such a weakness on this team for so long. And then you have Devonder Campbell come out of nowhere. He more than Douglas really came out, what is the one you're wondering, by the way, and just have the season of his life. Um, and then they draft Quay Walker, who I like out of Georgia just for his athleticism, his ranginess. I think he is someone who's going to see the field a lot early. Um, and then up front, like, again, you know, you talked about the pass rush um, sort of – where did they finish last year, actually? I they were – I mean, the, Rashawn in Gary sacks, had – In, in sacks, yeah. they were, like, middle of the pack, like 15th, 16th. And then in, like, pass rush win rate, they were bottom six in the league. So they were doing yeah, a lot of their stuff defensively crazy. even without – winning at the line of scrimmage off. So it really felt a lot of times like the kind of Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary show, although Preston Smith, I thought had a pretty nice bounce back season as well. But I think some of the new depths on the D line, I was tweeting about uh, Kenny Clark playing a mix of nose and three tech for them and sort of mm -hmm. lining up across the line. I think that from what I hear from Packers reporters, they have a ton of depth now on the defensive line and multiplicity. So they'll be able to move him around. I wouldn't be surprised if his sacks total sack total goes up as a result. Um, you know, Wyatt was primarily seen as a three-tech coming out of Georgia, but he can play nose too, I think. There's just a lot of versatility up front. And then given how good the secondary is, if they're all healthy, there's just going to be a lot of time for them to eat if things go according to plan. I think that's the goal. And, that, and that's what Joe Barry is probably hoping for more than anything else, because you're right, like there's been a lot of turnover. This isn't the days of, you know, A.J. Hawk and Clay Matthews anymore. It's just not, and it hasn't been for quite some time. That's not that that hasn't been what this defense was built off of. It's been hoping that the secondary can hold up and hoping that you get enough sacks to keep a team in enough third and longs to generate some takeaways. This was a good takeaway team without Jair Alexander for most of the year. So the skill set in the back end is enough to mitigate, not negate the issues in the front, in the front seven or six, whatever, whatever scheme they end up playing uh, based on that down and distance. Like it's not enough to negate and cover mm -hmm. up all the flaws, but it's enough to mitigate some of them. And mitigating flaws in the NFL defensively means, or, or offensively for that matter, it means buying an extra second or two. It means buying an extra second for your defensive line to get to the quarterback. It buys an extra second for your back end to recover if they need to against a receiver that may have them beat for a moment. And if you can buy another half a second, that ends up compounding over a long period of time. And if you already have a skillful back end, you hope... The, the projection would be that you're going to generate more takeaways from that. Hmm. I think my one other concern about this team, other than the depth in the secondary, would be, you know, this was a really, really bad run defense last year. Um, this is, again, <laughs> contributing with continuing with this theme of um, schemes where they are more so inviting offenses to run. Joe Barry um, also comes from that, you know, Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio kind of lineage. Um but they were 28th in rushing efficiency or run DBA, pardon me, on defense. Um, and, you know, I talked about the multiplicity, multiplicity from a pass rush perspective. I, I think they're going to really need those defensive linemen to step up because part of that scheme, Adam, you really need your edge rushers to contain. And as much as I think Rashawn Gary took a massive leap forward as a pass rusher last year, he is still not good in run defense. Mm -hmm. I think that is, you know, I mean, it's not, obviously he doesn't tell the whole story and I think Preston Smith is better, but you know, you are counting on getting help elsewhere 
to stop the run, especially as you allocate more bodies to coverage as they are want to do. And I think that's why the first two picks ended up being defensive picks. This this was yeah. the Packers draft this year. First two picks were defensive players, then two wide receivers and two offensive linemen, then three more defensive players, then an offensive tackle and a wide receiver. So the needs for this team are very obvious, right? Protect Aaron Rodgers, get some depth on the offensive line that's banged up, give him someone to throw to, and then get guys that can help plug up the middle. And I think, I, I'm sure the hope is that when you draft Quay Walker, Devontae Wyatt, both your first round picks, are they both out of, I think they're both out of Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. They, they yeah. both went heavy yeah, on Georgia, yeah. right up the middle. And we've talked about Georgia a bunch already. We've named a bunch of guys that have gone to Georgia. Their defense has been a hallmark for them being a national title team and contender just about every year, the last half decade or so. And these are going to be the key pieces that need to play smart, sound football in the box. They need to extend, be able to go sideline to sideline or at least number to number to be able to contain and get run uh, get running backs funneled back towards the middle where guys like Reed and Clark can make 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 you know do some damage defensively. There's a lot of ifs again, but all the ifs seem to be geared towards some of the younger guys. And I think there's enough here. I do. I agree with you. I love the Reed pickup because I think that's a key bolstering to that front that needs it. Uh, you're, it's a lot of ifs, but it's geared around young players that kind of know what their role is going to be. I don't think those roles are going to shift very much over the course of the season, and that will allow them to grow as the season goes on. All right. You talked about the draft. Is Romeo Dobbs a future Hall of Famer or just a future <laughs> All-Pro? <laughs> you and I were so excited to talk about Romeo Dobbs, right? And he's been getting all the raves from Rogers and from Matt LaFleur and from the team and everybody loves Romeo Dobbs, right? And <laughs> watch, watch him get like two snaps in week one. Or something. <laughs> you know, right? I'm all excited and be like, I got to go watch these Packers highlights. Cause I want to see if Romeo Dobbs got, oh you know, God. lived up to the billing and okay, here's his five snaps. You know, this is a guy who's pe people mispronounced his name for four, you know, for his entire college career because well, he was too to shy. To be fair, to Romeo Dubs is it's Romeo such a Dubs cool name, is though. cool. It is a pretty awesome name. <laughs> but like he was cool. so shy. He, yeah. <laughs> he was such a shy kid. He he was so uh internal and now you're starting to see him blossom a little bit. Here's where I think this this is so key because we know the wide receiver story, right? Uh obviously Devontae Adams is gone. Yep. Uh Marquez, uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is gone. So you've lost two of your top three receivers. Even, even Equinemius is gone uh, to Chicago. So you have Lazard, Cobb, and you go out and sign Sammy Watkins, who's on his fifth team in his NFL career, right? And he's not the deep threat he used to be. He had a somewhat injury plague year in Baltimore last year. He only had one touchdown in the 13 games he played. None of the receivers we've mentioned that are on this team averaged more than a yard and a half per route last year uh, in terms of receiving yards per route run. So this is basically an efficiency metric, right? Cooper Cup, for perspective, led the NFL amongst wide receivers at over three yards per route run. Debo Samuel was 2.93, and then Devontae Adams was 2.8. Those are your top three. So none of those guys is established, even though Randall Cobb is this longtime connection with Rodgers. They're just not established in, as deep ball threats and efficient, and efficient receivers the way those two guys that they've lost are. So how do you counteract that? The screen game is going to be really important. That's where Devontae Adams, as good as he was in, sl in slants, as good as he was in post, and as good as he was as a one-on-one -on -one guy on, on mid-range routes to, to beat you as a cornerback on the outside, his screen game 
was incredibly important. And I think that's where Dobbs can really make an impact right out of the gate without feeling like he has to be a downfield threat mm. for Rodgers. He can win, as we've seen in training camp so far. Again, you take that with a grain of salt. But his screen game was really important in Nevada. Like he ran, I think, 14 or 15 screens and he got long plays out of that. He really moves well in these tight spaces. And I think he could be that type of threat, both intermediate and in the short game, that will give Aaron Rodgers the, necess uh, the necessary outlets he needs while the offensive line is going through a little bit of a transition, while they're waiting for Jenkins to be healthy, while they're waiting for Bakhtiari to come back. You know, they've added some depth on the offensive line, which is good, but they're going to need those guys if they want to make a deep playoff run. You need Bakhtiari in there. You need Jenkins to play at a high level. You know, Yash and Iman was really good when Jenkins was out, but you don't want to have to just, you, you worry he's going to get exposed if he plays more than, you know, the amount of snaps he played last year. So I think the short game is going to be really important for Rodgers, and I think Dobbs can really excel there. Mm. So Christian Watson was the second round pick, got all the attention, you know, dominated the Super sure. Bowl, looks like DK Metcalf, crazy side and speed, but didn't have much of a route, re route tree in college. And, you know, reports out of camp were that he kind of looked like it, you know, or that um, it's going to take some time. Dobbs, it's like he completely flew under the radar in the draft, but as you mentioned, um, useful at all three levels, has the size, the hands, I would say the physicality um, to be, I would definitely, again, this is just, a, I've only seen high, I'm not going to pretend like I've seen more than like some right, right. Of Romeo Dobbs from camp. But um, to your point, um, there's, you can see ways in which he immediately slots into this offense. You talk about the screen game and you, earlier you alluded to the RPO game. It's such a big part of the Packers offense right now yep. is having that RPO tag. And with Adams gone, having a player like Dobbs, slide into that role underneath, whether it's on screens or slants for Rodgers, enormous, especially because I think we all know this is going to be a pretty, I wouldn't say a run-centric offense, because I still think they're going to be pass-heavy, even with the skill players that they have. But the running backs are going to be on the field a lot, as both backs and pass catchers, I think we all agree. So um, just having him in there, you know, and letting them be as versatile, maybe not as versatile as they've been, maybe more versatile, I don't know. It will help a lot as they try to figure out, okay, who, what's everybody's role in this offense? Um, because there isn't a Devontae Adams replacement on the depth chart. It really is a matter of like, here are our players, let's figure out what we can do with each of them. What's the uh, Brad Pitt line in Moneyball? You're replacing them in the aggregate. Like that's what you have to do with a player like Adams because you're not, they didn't go out and get a, another Devontae Adams. So how do you replace that? All three levels is incredibly important because Adams was great in all three levels. Dobbs has potential. I just can't put it all on him, right? We can't assume that he's going to be the deep threat that he was at Nevada playing, you know, against lower level competition in college. You can't assume that he's going to be the deep ball threat that he was, even though you know he's done it. But he's going to be, I think he can be a really good contributor right away in at least two of the three levels. And Aaron Jones has to have another good season catching the ball like they really use him well uh i think and defining the roles of him and dylan in the pass and run games for both of them i'm not saying aaron jones is just going to be your run your uh pass catcher and dylan is just going to be like a short yardage you know barrel over people type of runner inside the tackles but 
that's probably going to be the role definition in some capacity. And then you work off of that. Right. So I think defining those roles early, letting them grow as the season goes on. And that's typically what NFL teams do. They go, if we, if you have an unknown, you go, how do I get this guy involved early? If he does this well, let's add more on the plate and let's see if he can expand that role as the season goes on. And you hope by week 13, 14, by the time you get to December, they're really humming in a way that feels indicative of what they would look like come playoff time. And the other element to this too is Robert Tunyon. Like he's still coming back from the ACL. Yeah. You know how talented he, 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 he's turned himself into a household name. I think they signed him to an extension, even with the injury, if I'm not mistaken, or they re-signed him, I should say, even with the injury. So mm -hmm. I, I feel like they, they believe that he can maybe not recreate 11 touchdowns from two years ago, but maybe give six, seven touchdowns as an outlet player in the out route game, in the, the, you know, the hook game anything from eight to 17 yards where Aaron Rodgers has always been really lethal throwing the ball. He's always been a good intermediate pass thrower. I feel like that could be really beneficial to Matt LaFleur's offense this year. And they could be better than a top 10 offense, maybe even without Devonte Adams. But if you end up being 10th right around where they were a season ago with the defense expected to make a leap, especially on the back end, this is a combination of good things for for the Packers, and there's a reason they're the they're still the front runners for for this division. Yeah, I'm more concerned about the offensive line than the skill players. Actually, I mean, you you talked about it with Bakhtiari. There's so much uncertainty. Jenkins still coming off that injury, so you might be looking at Nijman and Zach Tom. I know they like Zach Tom, but it's a lot to ask um, from the jump. And look, Rogers makes the life of his offensive line a lot easier, especially he gets he's been getting the ball out quicker and quicker in recent years, but his performance does dip off under pressure now, which is, mm -hmm. you know, happens a lot with quarterbacks his age. So I think, again, a lot of that is mitigated by his brain and his quick release. But um, if you're really down to backup backups on that line, it's, that could be to me, I would say that would be like the single biggest concern I have about this offense, but uh, and, I, and it's I a realistic agree. one. It, it's, I agree. it's yeah. I mean, Packers fans are nervous. Um, all right. Let's wrap with a feel-good story of the division, the Detroit Lions. I want to be clear. I am not <laughs> I hyping exactly, this I know exactly team, what you're going to say. say. I know what your definition of hype on the I'm line not, is. I'm not, Wait, like please saying, repeat I'm it. not even saying they're a playoff team. The thing that I've said over and over is I like how they're built, and it's become a really good spot for the next quarterback. I think that yeah. is a very big difference from saying this is a contender. Now, that said... I think Jared Goff has a history of playing to his circumstances. And because those circumstances are good, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a better version of him than you did last year. Um, I know Lions fans were pretty happy with how he played at the end of the season, weeks 12 yep. through 8. Goff pulled this out of curiosity. Fourth in QBR, fourth in CPOE, played the Bears, the Vikings, the Broncos, the Cardinals, the Packers had clinched by then. So not like total slouches. No. But when you watched, he was okay. I mean, I, I watched all these games. He was okay. Like, he wasn't really airing it down in you know, the field. Um, I would say most of the improvement in the second half, you know, it happened after uh, Dan Campbell took play calling duties. I think Ben Johnson, who's now the offensive coordinator, was yes. the tight ends coach, played a role in that as well. They tried to make the offense more Ramsey. Um, you really saw Eamon Ross St. Brown and emerge as a target. They traded for Josh Reynolds. So there were a lot of little things that changed. But when I look at this depth chart, take out Jared Goff, 
wide receivers, DJ Chark, Jameson Williams, Eamon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, offensive line, Taylor Decker, Jonah Jackson by this offensive line was super banged up last year too. Taylor yep. Decker, Jonah Jackson, Frank Ragnow, who was out in like the whole season, uh, Halupate, I can't ever say his name, Vitae, yeah, and then Panay yeah. Sewell, who now has Vitae, uh, and then TJ Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams. Separate from the quarterbacks, am I crazy in saying that's a top 10 offensive roster? That's a really good offense. If if you put in a, a if you slotted in even a Kirk Cousins at this point, but I, I would I would be a little bit more bold and say an elite quarterback. This would be a top six or seven offense in terms of scoring because we saw it last year. At times, they played a lot of high possession games. They gave up a ton of points defensively, but they still were able to match for portions of games. Like they scored thirty three against the San Francisco defense that made a deep playoff run last year in week one. Then they averaged 14 points a game for like two months. And then when, as you said, when Ben Johnson mm -hmm. got the bigger role, and Ben Johnson, for those who don't know, is a self-described math geek. He never really wanted to coach until he got to college. He's the son of educators. He got a near-perfect score on his ACT. He's a computer. He's got a computer science degree. Like, He's a very analytical thinker, and I think he saw what Jared Goff looked like now four years ago during the Rams' 2018 Super Bowl run, where Goff was at his best. It was his best season by far, and thought, all right, well, why not make these guys play those types of roles on the outside? Why not let the ball fly a little bit more, especially if the offensive line is going to be healthy? So... Ben Johnson has a lot of influence on on what this offense is going to look like. And if it picks up from where it left off a year ago, I think there's good things in store. Jared Goff still completed two out of every three passes. That was a career high completion rate for him. 67% in this league is really good. Now, again, is a lot of that scheme? Of course, a lot of that is short to intermediate. Mm. But they started to throw the ball downfield more, and the numbers didn't take a terrible dip after that portion of time. They averaged 27 a game in the last six games. So that's an above average or right around league average NFL offense. That's not bad considering Jared Goff was in at quarterback last year. So it's all going to come down to him. They didn't test downfield overall very much, but they did it more late in the year. You assume that, I, I guess you can't assume, but like if Jamison Williams comes back from the ACL midway through the season and he's close to the level of speed that he was drafted for, I'm not saying that Chark and Williams are Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I'm not saying that, but that's going to be one of the speedier duos oh, in like, the NFL. Like that's what? a really fast. It's a great duo. group of wide receivers. Yeah, they're super complimentary. If Jamison Williams is in, that like it is the perfect combination of receivers between Chark, big bodied outside, Jameson Williams, speedster, um, uh, underrated route runner, Eamon Ross St. Brown does that dirty work underneath. Like they fit together really well. I did want to ask, um, you mentioned that Ben Johnson scored really well in the ACT. Do people still take the ACT? Uh, so and, it, and I, I would say in the Midwest, like I like, here's my general uh, idea okay. of it. Like coastal schools look more at SATs. Midwest schools look more at the ACT. Uh, and in Illinois, okay. at least you can take both. I never took the SATs. I only took the ACT. <gasps> really? I only took the ACT. You can got, only take the ACT. No, no, no. I, I only took it. You had the option of taking the SAT. 
but you had to take the ACT. I never took the SAT. I got a 33 on my ACT. So like that was enough for some schools to be like, all right, you're not an idiot. We'll bring you in or at least you take tests. Well, come on in and flunk freshman. I have so many questions. (laughs) I thought I didn't even know that many people. Okay. Wow. I have a lot of questions about the Midwest now. Um, And Ben Johnson, incidentally. But yeah, I think that, you know, uh, where this offense goes just as base this year, it, 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 Comes down to Jared Goff's comfort yes. level, whether he is willing to, you know, he wasn't slinging that thing at the end of the season, but <laughs> if he's at least not going to dink and dunk, um, you know, and at least try to push the ball downfield a little bit more, that's going to um, open things up a little bit. And he should have, assuming this offensive line stays healthy uh, this year, he should have the time to do so. It is the best offensive line in the division now with the Packers being as banged up as they are. Um, I... Look, all I'll say this is if I'm who is who's the quarterback who's most likely to be disgruntled next year? <laughs> is it going to be Jimmy Garoppolo in the league like... right now? Like, I feel like regardless of where he ends up, might uh, might end up being the most disgruntled. I think Jared Goff could be. I can't think of anyone who might be angling. Well, you know, you never know. You never No one saw Matt Ryan leaving Atlanta or whatever. So whoever is disgruntled can become gruntled, I think, by playing for this team. I think that it's going to be a very good team. I think it'll be interesting to see, I guess, in the immediate future, if we're talking about this team as a potential wildcard team, like I said, it really comes down to Goff, I think, um, sort of building upon what they started at the end of last season. And I think he's definitely got the players to do so. Uh, defensively, I'm a little, they were bad last year. I mean, they were, they were bad. They were really, really bad last year defensively. They were, it's, they were really, really, really bad, bad Bad against the pass, bad against the run, bad at stopping the run, bad at getting after quarterbacks, bad at tackling, bad at pretty much everything. Um, so the optimist case for this year would be that you add Aiden Hutchinson, Josh, it's Pascal, right? Pascal? Yep. Not Pascal, I'm trying to... Pascal. Okay. Yeah, Zach Pascal, um, Josh Pascal. Yes, it's very confusing. Um, and then Charles Harris, who you know had a great year last year, mm-hmm. continues that play. Um, that the inside, I think they like the early returns on Lynn McNeil, um, Michael Brockers, and well, up down year, I would say. But that the pass rush is so improved. And then defensively, uh, you get competent safety play out of Deshaun Elliott, who was fine for the Ravens. Um, you get something out of Jeff Okuda at this point. Yeah. Armani, Armani Araye, who's the other corner, is yep. he's a playmaker, but inconsistent in coverage. I'm trying here. What? Uh, <laughs> well, Kirby you, you, Joseph you, you, was a third round pick this year. He's also pretty aggressive. Mm. You're, you're saying the right names, honestly. Mm. And I would toss in Mike Hughes as well <laughs> um, from Kansas City. Like Oruwarie oh, yeah. and Okuda, it comes down a lot to them. It really does. Because Jeff Okuda has had every possible accolade thrown at him and every possible excuse made for him. And again, I'm not telling you that those are not reasonable. He was hurt. That happens. And it's hard to battle back through multiple injuries. He played, what, 48 defensive snaps last year. Like, he was supposed to come back after getting a real taste in Matt Patricia's defense of like, hey, this is hard. You're going to be put on an island once in a while. And he got beat, but I thought he grew a lot from it. And I was excited to watch what he was going to do year two, and then he got hurt. And then, you know, he, he gets the Achilles injury, and then it's over. So if he can be healthy, 
if he can live up to this is a lot like what San Francisco dealt with last year, right? Like they have good defensive backs. None of them could stay healthy at any point, at any point in the yeah. season until it really mattered. And if this guy can stay healthy and Oruwarie can improve as a playmaker and, and make some more splash plays, whether it's punches or, or getting picks, this is a team that desperately needs takeaways, right? Uh, to, to be effective as, as a defense. And if you're not going to get to the quarterback, you got to get takeaways. It was one of the few elements of their defense that felt like, okay, they have some stock here. They have some buildup to be able to get picks, to be able to get fumbles. If they can do that at a better rate, our assumption, I'm assuming you too, Mina, is that Hutchinson, Harris, and whenever Romeo Aquara comes back, that they'll they'll get to the quarterback a little bit more than they did last year. And obviously, there's nowhere but up to go. They were 30th in sacks last year. They were 31st in pass rush win rate. They can be better with Harris, Hutchinson, and Aquara if Aquara comes back healthy and those guys play to their their capabilities. So Aaron Glenn is defensive coordinator. He was excellent uh, coaching DBs in the secondary in New Orleans, which you know yep. played plays the more cover two man than any other team in the league. But it's kind of hard to with this roster. It just kind of feels like he's fighting for survival. You know what I mean? Like he's just. Sure. I don't. I don't think he quite has has had the personnel to show us what his defense is going to look like. Um, and I'm not sure he does this year. I do think I would say up front is where the incur like the defensive line is where right now the strengths of this team reside. So, you know, he's obviously got a, a great track record when it comes to dra- uh, developing DBs granted, you know, they drafted like Marshawn Lattimore and such, but you know, other, <laughs> other players as well. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I think this is just there's just an immense pressure on him to get more out of one or two of these DBs. Yeah, I mean Tracy Walker is still there. He's kind of the I think they paid him actually. He's this kind of stalwart of this secondary. Yeah, but him, it's yep. this is I, the I, thing I, that holds me back from saying yeah the Viking the Lions might be like a quiet wild card contender. I just don't see it on this back set. I, I just and you're and you're asking a lot from like AJ Parker. You know, like if, if they're gonna play a four two five and they're gonna play mostly nickel, like AJ Parker's listed as your nickel and to play in slot cornerback like we talked about in this division with, you know, some good wide receiver trios and obviously who are you know who the Lions are going to play outside of the division. Like you're gonna run into really good wide receiver trios and to play AJ Parker in the slot, undrafted guy out of K State. It's a, it's just a lot to ask of him if they're not winning up front. And it's not like if Okuda plays well or Warrie plays well, yeah, you might not give up the big plays that we've been used to seeing on deep passes against the Lions, but you might give up too many intermediate plays that lead to bigger plays. And that's why I'm I'm a mm-hmm. little concerned with with the back end, but again, we're asking a lot. There's potential with health that comes with this team on defense and that's yeah. all well and good, but we're just asking a lot of a lot of young guys. I think if Hutchison looks like that dude and Okuda shows flashes of what made him such a special college cornerback, you're pretty happy as a Lions fan. Sure. And um, then there's nowhere, nowhere to go, but up, right. And they spent six of their eight picks on defensive players. Mm-hmm. There's nowhere to go for this defense, but up. All right. Well, there's nowhere for this podcast to go, but hurtling towards the end. As always, five questions for our guest. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, 
happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P dot com slash Mina Show, M I N A S H O W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Adam, four from me, one from Lenny. Are you ready? Let's do it. Question one. What was the, your favorite game that you called last year? <sighs> Man, uh, Rams-Ravens late in the season uh, is right up there. Uh, I think it was week 17, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mm. Odell Beckham Jr. with two incredible catches one on fourth down to keep a drive alive with less than a minute to go. And then one incredible tight roping catch on the sideline to take the lead. And then Von Miller closes it with a sack. Um, that's up there. I called, I, I did, we ended up calling Russell Wilson's last game as a Seahawk, which I wasn't expecting, uh, to, to call. And we tried to frame it as such. Like we were, we don't know, you know, he, it's his decision to make. So we're not going to frame it necessarily that this is exactly what's going to take place. But Rashad Penny having the game he had last year and the back and forth between Arizona and Seattle, that was up there. Uh, I had a blast calling that Fields run in what ended up being a tight game in, I want to say, week eight or nine between San Francisco and Chicago. We had an overtime game between Minnesota and Baltimore last year. That was a lot of fun. It, it's hard to find a bad game in the mix, but those are the ones that kind of stuck out for me last year. The Rams Ravens once was Tyler Huntley, right? It was. It was one of the the few starts he made. Uh, Lamar was still out at that yeah. point. He he played. He played a as <laughs> as he often has a a comp a competent, if not above average, quarterback in that in those games. He's undoubtedly one of the five best backup quarterbacks. In this I, I agree. Absolutely agree. Right. I wish he was our starter. <laughs> they could I use wish. him right now, oh, man. I like I, 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 I'll see I him in week two. I already, I already texted you, man. I don't oh. know who the quarterback's going to be when we oh. see him in San Francisco week two. Oh. Oh. I don't know either. I think Gino, but I don't know. Right now yeah. it looks like Gino. Gino was ahead. All of, right. Of question two. You've been, you've been around the bears a lot. Um, a long time. Jay Cutler misunderstood or properly stood. As a player on the field, I think he's misunderstood. I think part of that is because of the very low bar 
that has been placed <laughs> for Chicago quarterbacks. Again, the only franchise in NFL history without a 4,000 yard passer. So like if you're still leaning on Sid Luckman and Jim McMahon as like your quarterback relationship goals, that's not a very high bar. So I, I think based on that, he was probably misunderstood. But if I take a big step back and just look at the all encompassing aura of Jay Cutler, it's he's probably right where he he's viewed probably as properly as he should be. Question number three, right before we started taping the NFL, I don't know who reported this, but the NFL wants referees to focus on illegal contact Yeah, on a scale of <laughs> one through I'm trying to think of a good anger. Lenny looking at me right now because he, I haven't fed him yet. How upset do you think people will be about this in the preseason? They're going to be very annoyed by this the same way that holding has been, you know, adjusted. This has been one of the most inconsistent calls amongst referees in the NFL the last three years. Um, the leeway that's given to defensive backs because they don't want to give another hefty advantage to an offensive player. Uh, oftentimes you hear the term a healthy five yards and it's like, mm. you know, if you're a receiver, you're like, no, man, if I get to six, you can't hold me. You can't do this if the quarterback's still in the pocket anymore. Yeah. And it's, it's very upsetting for a lot of offensive players. I understand because defensive players are already put at a disadvantage based on the rules. So it's going to annoy a lot of people the first three weeks. It's going to annoy people a lot the first two weeks of the regular season. And then like, most rules uh, that are focused on or may uh, you know ha have a big deal made about them in the preseason, they just kind of fly by the wayside as the game dictates mm -hmm. how referees call things. It's it's typically how it goes. What was the one la the uh, taunting though? There was like one taunting that decided a game. When was that? It was Cassius Marsh, right? Oh, the, Am I that was the Pittsburgh. That was the that? Pittsburgh uh, uh, Chicago Monday Night game. Uh, that that Fields played so well, and the Cassius Marsh taunting call ended up extending the what I think Bullshit. ended up being the game-winning drive, right? Yes. So that one, it, that one did matter. Freaking horrible. That Five thousand nine hundred seventy-two dollars, buddy. That was that was a heck of a fine <laughs> for that. Literally the game, the yep. game. It was just awful. Okay. Uh, question four. Uh, wondering if you have any. Thing you've been watching, reading, listening to that you might recommend to listeners. I will go first. Please. I recently started the show For All Mankind on Apple Plus or Apple TV or Apple Plus TV. Um, it's about it's an alternate history of the space program if Russia had beat America to space to the moon. Awesome. Um, it has. I'm only early. I'm only in season one. I hear it gets better, but it has some similarities to one of my favorite shows of all time, Halt and Catch Fire, in that it's it's really about like relationships and kind of workplace stuff but i'm really enjoying it i love that um right now uh the two shows that i'm kind of catching up on that i hadn't watched before are uh silicon valley from uh from hbo which I've, I've really come to enjoy and um what we do in the shadows uh from fx it's oh, on yeah. hulu streaming right now really really funny uh both are really really well written and then uh the two books that i'm currently in the middle of right now are Howard Zinn's uh, People's History of the United States, which I think uh, I first heard of referenced in Goodwill Hunting, where Matt Damon's character is like, you know, you spend all this money on your education and books and you get the wrong books. And Robin Williams is like, well, what are the right books? And he says, you need to read 
of people's history of the United States by Howard Zinn. Turns out Howard Zinn is like the great grandfather of one of my really, really close friends. And I just never put it together that their oh, last cool. name, Smith, which I thought was awesome. That it is one of the most eye-opening books I've ever read. Uh, and I'm, I'm still in the midst of it right now. Holy God, Columbus, you were a bad dude. And uh, the other I'm, I'm working on right now is <laughs> you'll, love, you'll love this as I'm sure uh, many of you read in high school. I never did for whatever reason. I've never read Fahrenheit 451. And the the incredible book wow. by Ray Bradbury, and I'm in the middle of you really. You're really hitting some classics there. <laughs> wow, <laughs> damn, that's wow. Okay, um, I like both of the shows a lot. They're both very funny. It's Definitely. they're like not many just pure comedies like that, you know. Right now, yeah, really. Um, all right. Speaking of pure comedy, last question, as always, from Lenny. Um, yeah, so Lenny. Has been perusing your IG. It's just Adam Amin for those who want to yes. smash that follow. Um, and you notice you've gotten a few like they're, they're kind of like candids where you're like walking to the plane or they're like outfit shots. He just wants to know how many takes you do and who you have to ask to take those photos of you. I have. Uh, so I, I work, as you mentioned, for Fox Sports doing the NFL and Major League Baseball. My my other job is the doing the Chicago Bulls here in Chicago locally. So we travel on the team plane. One of the fun parts of the NBA right now is like the the walk up or entrances, uh, the entrance photos. Everybody wants to get their fits off and all that good stuff. So we travel on the team plane. And one of the benefits to that sometimes is just we have I have we have an incredible digital team at, at the Chicago Bulls. So Joe Pynchon and um Nico Tan are the two main photographers for the Bulls, and they just take photos of every player as they're getting on the plane, and they use it for promos, they use mm. it for ads, all that stuff. And we're just like in the crossfire of it. So once in a while, mm. I'll get like uh, me or my me and my quote unquote in the crossfire. We get we get like a cool shot. And it's like, dude, this is like a really cool photo. And and they're friends of mine, and they'll send them to me and go, hey, we we gotta. It doesn't happen every game. It doesn't happen every trip. It just depends on whether or not you happen to be walking out at the same time as one Zach Levine might be walking out. So if it happens, great. Do you, maybe this year I'll try to time it up. I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll try to work on the timing. Uh, I mean, do you do you think about your outfits though? I think I have to now. If we're gonna do the walk up thing, like I yeah. at least have to look. Yeah. I, I can't look completely disheveled. Like we're not required, thankfully, in the NBA to wear suits mm. onto the plane or anything like that. But if you see a shot of me in a suit, it's because we're getting on the team bus to go to the arena for the game. So I, you have to be dressed and ready to go, but I just want to not look disheveled and I don't want to feel like I'm spending the entire day getting ready for a photo that may or may not get taken. But it is pretty fun when we get it, get uh, some of those candidates. Those are always, uh, those are always good. And, and I think, uh, uh, my friends enjoy them. So that's, what's important. It all sounds very accidental. Thank you so much, Adam. I appreciate it, bud.